0: Who is the owner of the mysterious cigarette case? The answer is anything but simple. Oscar Wilde, today on the Classic Tales Podcast. Welcome to the Classic Tales Podcast. Thank you for listening. The Classic Tales Podcast is listener-supported. If you've enjoyed the Classic Tales over the years please consider becoming a supporting member. Making a monthly donation really helps us to create a support flow we can count on. If you can step up with just $5 a month, that really helps us out. Go to classictalesaudiobooks.com and become a monthly supporter. That's classictalesaudiobooks, all one word.com. You'll get a monthly code good for $8 toward any digital audiobook download, as a thank you gift. It's a great deal and a great feeling. Thank you so much. And for those of you with the Classic Tales app, check out your special features for more Meditations of Marcus Aurelius. Tap on the box with the bow on the left when you play the episode. If you're a regular listener of the Classic Tales podcast, Perhaps you've run across a passage that really stands out to you. One of the limitations of podcasts as a format is that there has not been a great way to save those brief moments for yourself or share them with other people in your life that would enjoy them. That's why I'm excited to announce that I'm experimenting with a great new tool. It's called Air. It lets you save and share the best moments of Classic Tales episodes. The app lets you capture the moments that stand out to you while listening and then send these clips to your friends or share them on social media. Air is a free iPhone app that is currently in private beta. Now, this isn't a paid sponsorship or an ad of any sort. Instead, the founders have reached out to me and we're working together to give Classic Tales listeners early access to the app, which launches publicly this August. You can sign up for early access through the link in the show notes. It's a super fun way to share the favorite parts of your episodes with your friends. I want all of you to share your favorite moments from the Classic Tales with me. If you use Air and tweet your favorite moment from the latest episodes, at BJ Harrison Audio, that's my Twitter handle, you might just appear on a Classic Tales episode. Each week, before the story begins, I'll shout out to the fan who submitted my favorite moment, read their accompanying tweet, and play their clip on the show. I can't wait to see your favorite parts of this week's episode. This week, we are doing a play that I have adapted into the audiobook format. I've done this before with Shakespeare's Hamlet and Coriolanus. I think I've finally hit my stride. I'm very happy with the way this turned out. I hope you enjoy it. And now, The Importance of Being Earnest, Part 1 of 4, by Oscar Wilde. Algernon Moncrief's flat in Half Moon Street was a rich, opulent, splendid affair, which was rather interesting, because Algernon Moncrief himself was a sort of eligible bachelor who tends to run a lot, mostly because he's being chased by creditors. Algernon Moncrief himself, a straight-haired, tallish-looking man with his insinuating two pieces of moustache plastered upon his upper lip, tended to be rather fast and free. In fact, that's how he was playing piano in his flat, fast and free.' only half paying attention to any of the notes put there by some learned scholar of music of yore. He played as fast as he could and as fun as he could. And When he finished, he turned and noticed Lane, his manservant, fussing with something. Did you hear what I was playing, Lane? asked Algernon as he reached for a cigarette. I didn't think it polite to listen, sir, Lane answered while hooding his eyes. His eyes were perpetually hooded, "'half-drawn, closed, with incredible, insinuating respectability. "'I'm sorry for that, for your sake,' said Algernon. "'I don't play accurately. "'Anyone can play accurately. "'But I play with wonderful expression. "'As far as the piano is concerned, sentiment is my forte. "'I keep science for life.' "'Yes, sir.' "'And speaking of the science of life,' said Algernon, getting up, "'Have you got the cucumber sandwiches cut for Lady Bracknell?' "'Yes, sir,' Lane gestured with his respectable hand to a plate of sandwiches, which Algernon would have seen earlier if he had paid any attention. Algernon sidled up to the side of the table, and after inspecting one or two of the sandwiches and clicking his fingers together, he took two and sat down upon the sofa, the pattern of which complemented his vest very smartly, and Algernon knew it. "'Oh, by the way, Lane,' "'said Algernon, biting into a sandwich. "'I see from your book that on Thursday night, "'when Lord Shawman and Mr. Worthing are dining with me, eight bottles of champagne are entered as having been consumed.' "'Yes, sir, uh, eight bottles and a pint,' said Lane, "'as he folded up the serving-tray. "'Algernon seemed to rankle at this. "'Why is it that at a bachelor's establishment "'the servants invariably drink the champagne? "'I ask merely for information.' Lane replied with hooded respectability. I attribute it to the superior quality of the wine, sir. I have observed that in married households the champagne is rarely of a first rate brand. Good heavens! Is marriage as demoralizing as all that? said Algernon. I believe it is a very pleasant state, sir. I have had very little experience of it myself up to the present, replied Lane. I have only been married once. That was in consequence of a misunderstanding between myself and a young person. Algernon turned away and put his knuckles to his forehead. "'I don't know that I am much interested in your family life, Lane.' "'No, sir. It is not a very interesting subject. I never think of it myself.' "'Very natural, I am sure,' said Algernon. "'That will do, Lane. Thank you.' "'Thank you, sir.' And Lane, with his hooded eyes and quiet shoes... Pottered away. Algernon looked out the window at the street below him. He confided to the window-pane. Lane's views on marriage seem somewhat lax. Really, if the lower orders don't set us a good example, what on earth is the use of them? They seem as a class to have absolutely no sense of moral responsibility. Lane, with his quiet shoes, enters again, and announces, Mr. Ernest Worthing. Algernon turns and brightens at the sight of his good friend. "'How are you, my dear Ernest? What brings you up to town?' "'Oh, pleasure, pleasure,' said Ernest, pointing to the cucumber-sandwich morsel which Algernon holds between his forefinger and thumb. "'Eating as usual, I see, Algy,' Algernon replied with a stiff blink. "'I believe it is customary in good society to have some slight refreshment at five o'clock. Where have you been since last Thursday?' "'Ernest sat down on the sofa, "'whose pattern did not match his vest at all. "'In the country. "'What on earth do you do there?' "'Ernest raised his eyebrows and pulled off his gloves. "'When one is in town, one amuses oneself. "'When one is in the country, one amuses other people. "'It is excessively boring. "'And who are the people you amuse? "'Oh, neighbours. neighbors. "'Ernest looked about the room.' "'Got nice neighbours, in your part of Shropshire?' "'Perfectly horrid,' replied Ernest. "'Never speak to one of them.' "'How immensely you must amuse them,' replied Algernon, "'as he walked across the room and took another sandwich. "'By the way, Shropshire is your county, is it not?' "'Eh?' "'Shropshire? "'Yes, of course,' replied Ernest. "'Hello. "'Why all these cups? "'Why cucumber sandwiches? "'Why such reckless extravagance in one so young?' "'Who is coming to tea?' "'Oh,' replied Algernon, taking another bite. "'Merely Aunt Augusta and Gwendolyn.' "'How perfectly delightful!' answered Ernest, and his eyes twinkled. "'Yes, that is all very well,' said Algernon. "'But I am afraid Aunt Augusta won't quite approve of your being here. "'May I ask why?' asked Ernest, almost looking shocked. "'My dear fellow, the way you flirt with Gwendolyn is perfectly disgraceful.' It is almost as bad as the way Gwendolen flirts with you. I am in love with Gwendolen, replied Ernest. I have come up to town expressly to propose to her. And I thought you had come up for pleasure. I call that business, said Algie. How utterly unromantic you are, said Ernest. I really don't see anything romantic in proposing, Algernon countered. It is very romantic to be in love, but there is nothing romantic about a definite proposal. Why, one may be accepted. One usually is, I believe. Then the excitement is all over. The very essence of romance is uncertainty. If I ever get married, I'll certainly try to forget the fact.' "'I have no doubt about that, dear Algy,' said Ernest. The divorce court was specially invented for people whose memories are so curiously constituted. "'Oh,' said Algernon, "'there is no use speculating on that subject.' Divorces are made in heaven. Ernest put out a hand to take a sandwich. Algernon interfered by pulling the sandwiches away and giving a definite finger-wag. Please don't touch the cucumber sandwiches. They are ordered specially for Aunt Augusta. Upon saying, he took another cucumber sandwich and bit it in half. Well, you have been eating them all the time. That is quite a different matter, replied Algernon. She is my aunt. He pointed to the bread and butter sitting on the tea-table. "'Have some bread and butter. "'The bread and butter is for Gwendolyn. "'Gwendolyn is devoted to bread and butter.' "'Ernest drags himself to the table "'and helps himself to some bread and butter. "'And very good bread and butter it is, too,' he said. "'Well, my dear fellow, "'you need not eat as if you were going to eat at all. "'You behave as if you were married to her already. "'You are not married to her already, "'and I don't think you ever will be. "'Why on earth do you say that?' asked Ernest. "'Well, in the first place, girls never marry the men they flirt with. "'Girls don't think it right.' "'Oh, that is nonsense,' said Ernest, buttering his bread. "'It isn't. It is a great truth. "'It accounts for the extraordinary number of bachelors "'that one sees all over the place. "'In the second place, I don't give my consent.' "'Your consent?' "'My dear fellow,' said Algernon, "Gwendolen is my first cousin, "'and before I allow you to marry her—' "'you will have to clear up the whole question of Cecily.' "'He rings the bell for Lane. "'Cecily?' asked Ernest. "'What on earth do you mean? "'What do you mean, Algy, by Cecily? "'I don't know any one of the name of Cecily.' "'Lane quietly entered and hooded his eyes even further. Algernon asked, "'Bring me that cigarette-case Mr. Worthing left in the smoking-room "'the last time he dined here.' "'Yes, sir.' "'And Lane wanders off.' "'leaving an exasperated Ernest in his wake. "'Do you mean to say that you have had my cigarette-case all this time?' "'asked Ernest. "'I wish to goodness you would let me know. "'I have been writing frantic letters to Scotland Yard about it. "'I was very nearly offering a large reward. "'Well, I wish you would offer one,' said Algernon. "'I happen to be more than usually hard up.' "'Ernest smirked. "'There is no good offering a large reward now that the thing is found,' he said. The sound of nothing proclaimed Lane returning with a cigarette-case on a very smart salver. Algernon took it at once. Lane nodded at his dismissal. With the cigarette-case in his hand, Algernon rounded upon Ernest. I think it is rather mean of you, Ernest, I must say. Algernon opened the case and examined its contents. However, it makes no matter, for now that I look at the inscription inside, I find that the thing isn't yours after all. Of course it's mine, said Ernest. "'moving closer to him. "'You have seen me with it a hundred times, "'and you have no right whatsoever "'to read what is written inside. "'It is a very ungentlemanly thing "'to read a private cigarette-case.' "'Oh,' said Algernon, "'it is absurd to have a hard and fast rule "'about what one should read and what one shouldn't. "'More than half of modern culture "'depends on what one shouldn't read.' "'I am quite aware of the fact,' replied Ernest, "'and I don't propose to discuss modern culture.' "'It isn't the sort of thing one should talk of in private. "'I simply want my cigarette-case back.' "'Yes,' said Algernon coyly. "'But this isn't your cigarette-case. "'This cigarette-case is a present "'from someone of the name of Cecily, "'and you said you didn't know anyone of that name.' "'Ernest looked around the room at the windows, "'the curtains, the lamps, the plants. "'Well, if you want to know—' "'Cecily happens to be my aunt.' "'Your aunt?' "'Yes,' replied Ernest. "'Charming old lady she is, too. Lives at Tunbridge Wells. Give it back to me, Algie.' But Algernon walks around to the back of the sofa. "'But why does she call herself Little Cecily if she is your aunt and lives at Tunbridge Wells?' He clicked open the cigarette-case again and read from inside. "'From Little Cecily with her fondest love.' Ernest stood up and walked in a kind of mottled pattern, striving to remain as nonchalant as possible. "'My dear fellow, what on earth is there in that? Some aunts are tall, some aunts are not tall. That is a matter that surely an aunt may be allowed to decide for herself. You seem to think that every aunt should be exactly like your aunt. That is absurd. For heaven's sake, give me back my cigarette-case!' After an initial dash at it... He turned and trailed Algernon around the room. Algernon held out the case rather tauntingly. Yes, Algernon said, his coyness returning. But why does your aunt call you her uncle, from little Cecily with her fondest love to her dear uncle Jack? There is no objection, I admit, to an aunt being a small aunt. But why an aunt, no matter what her size may be, should call her own nephew her uncle I can't quite make out. "'Besides, your name isn't Jack at all. "'It is Ernest.' "'Ernest stops and strikes a bit of a pose. "'It isn't Ernest. "'It's Jack.' "'You've always told me it was Ernest,' "'said Algernon with widened eyes. "'I've introduced you to everyone as Ernest. "'You answer to the name of Ernest. "'You look as if your name was Ernest. "'You're the most earnest looking person "'I ever saw in my life. "'It is perfectly absurd your saying "'that your name isn't "'Ernest, it's on your cards. Here is one of them.' And he read from a snappy-looking card. "'Mr. Ernest Worthing, B. for the Albany. I'll keep this as a proof that your name is Ernest if you ever attempt to deny it to me, or to Gwendolen or to anyone else.' He placed the card safely in his top pocket. Ernest slash Jack stood tall and revealed his truth. "'Well, my name is Ernest in town, and Jack in the country.' and a cigarette-case was given to me in the country. Algernon ruminated upon that for a minute. "'Yes, but that does not account for the fact that your small Aunt Cecily, who lives in Tunbridge Wells, calls you her dear uncle Come, old boy. You had much better have the thing out at once.' "'My dear Algy,' replied Ernest Jack, "'you talk exactly as if you were a dentist. It is very vulgar to talk like a dentist when one isn't a dentist.' "'it produces a false impression.' "'Well, that is exactly what dentists always do,' replied Algy. "'Now go on, tell me the whole thing. "'I may mention that I have always suspected you "'of being a confirmed and secret Bunburyist, "'and I am quite sure of it now.' "'Bunburyist? "'What on earth do you mean by a Bunburyist?' Algernon straightened and lengthened "'his insinuating moustaches with a twist.' I'll reveal to you the meaning of that incomparable expression as soon as you are kind enough to inform me why you are Ernest in town and Jack in the country. Well, produce my cigarette-case first. Here it is. Algernon produced the cigarette-case and handed it over. Now produce your explanation, and pray make it improbable. He sat down on the sofa and looked up expectantly at Jack. Jack sidled over next to him and sat down. My dear fellow, there is nothing improbable about my explanation at all. In fact, it's perfectly ordinary. Old Mr. Thomas Cardew, who adopted me when I was a little boy, made me in his will guardian to his granddaughter, Miss Cecily Cardew. Cecily, who addresses me as her uncle, from motives of respect that you could not possibly appreciate, lives at my place in the country under the charge of her admiral governess, Miss Prism.' Algernon displayed his sparkling teeth. "'Where is that place in the country, by the way?' "'That is nothing to you, dear boy,' said Jack. "'You are not going to be invited. "'I may tell you candidly that the place is not in Shropshire.' "'I suspected that, my dear fellow,' said Algernon. "'I have bunbreed all over Shropshire on two separate occasions. "'Now go on. "'Why are you earnest in town and Jack in the country?' "'My dear Algy,' "'said Jack. "'I don't know whether you will be able "'to understand my real motives. "'You are hardly serious enough. "'When one is placed in a position of guardian, "'one has to adopt a very high moral tone "'on all subjects. "'It's one's duty to do so. "'And as a high moral tone "'can hardly be said to conduce very much "'to either one's health or one's happiness, "'in order to get up to town "'I have always pretended to have a younger brother "'of the name of Ernest.' who lives in the Albany and gets into the most dreadful scrapes. That, my dear Algie, is the whole truth, pure and simple. Algernon replied with a side-eye, The truth is rarely pure and never simple. Modern life would be very tedious if it were either, and modern literature a complete impossibility. That wouldn't be at all a bad thing. Literary criticism is not your forte, my dear fellow, said Algernon. Don't try it. You should leave that to people who haven't been at a university. They do it so well in the daily papers. What you really are is a Bunburyist. I was quite right in saying you were a Bunburyist. You are one of the most advanced Bunburyists, I know. What on earth do you mean? asked Jack. Algernon displayed his teeth again. You have invented a very useful younger brother called Ernest in order that you may be able to come up to town as often as you like. "'I have invented an invaluable permanent invalid called Bunbury, "'in order that I may be able to go down into the country whenever I choose. "'Bunbury is perfectly invaluable. "'If it wasn't for Bunbury's extraordinarily bad health, for instance, "'I wouldn't be able to dine with you at Willis's tonight, "'for I have rarely been engaged to Aunt Augusta for more than a week.' "'Jack wrinkled his brow. "'I haven't asked you to dine with me anywhere tonight. "'I know.' "'said Algy. "'You are absurdly careless "'about sending out invitations. "'It is very foolish of you. "'Nothing annoys people so much "'as not receiving invitations. "'You had much better "'dine with your Aunt Augusta. "'I haven't the smallest intention "'of doing anything of the kind,' "'said Algernon. "'To begin with, "'I dined there on Monday, "'and once a week is quite enough "'to dine with one's own relations. "'In the second place, "'whenever I do dine there, "'I am always treated "'as a member of the family.' and sent down with either no woman at all, or two. In the third place, I know perfectly well whom she will place me next to tonight. She will place me next to Mary Farquhar, who always flirts with her own husband across the dinner-table. <laughs> that is not very pleasant. Indeed, it is not even decent. And that sort of thing is enormously on the increase. The amount of women in London who flirt with their own husbands is perfectly scandalous. It looks so bad. It is simply washing one's clean linen in public. Besides, now that I know you to be a confirmed Bunburyist, I naturally want to talk to you about Bunburying. I want to tell you the rules. I am not a Bunburyist at all, replied Jack, rather indignantly. If Gwendolen accepts me, I am going to kill my brother. Indeed, I think I'll kill him in any case. Cecily is a little too much interested in him. It is rather a bore. So I am going to get rid of Ernest.' and I strongly advise you to do the same with Mr... with your invalid friend, who has the absurd name. Algernon presented Jack with a stiff hand that looked like it should have had a glove and a policeman on the other end of it. Nothing will induce me to part with Bunbury. And if you ever get married, which seems to me to be extremely problematic, you will be very glad to know Bunbury. A man who marries without knowing Bunbury has a very tedious time of it. That is nonsense, replied Jack. "'If I marry a charming girl like Gwendolen, "'and she is the only girl I ever saw in my life that I would marry, "'I certainly won't want to know Bunbury.' "'Then your wife will,' said Algernon. "'You don't seem to realise that in married life three is company and two is none.' "'Jack decided to hood his eyes a bit. "'That, my dear young friend, is the theory "'that the corrupt French drama has been propounding for the last fifty years.' "'Yes,' replied Algernon and that the happy English home has proved in half the time. For heaven's sake, don't try to be cynical. It's perfectly easy to be cynical. My dear fellow, said Algernon, it isn't easy to be anything nowadays. There's such a lot of beastly competition about. An electric bell sounded, and for some reason there was something funereal about it. Ah, that must be Aunt Augusta. Only relatives or creditors ever ring in that Wagnerian manner. "'Now if I get her out of the way for ten minutes "'so that you can have an opportunity of proposing to Gwendolyn, "'may I dine with you tonight at Willis's?' "'I suppose so, if you want to,' replied Jack. "'Yes, but you must be serious about it,' said Algernon. "'I hate people who are not serious about meals. "'It is so shallow of them!' "'Lane entered, and announced, "'Lady Bracknell and Miss Fairfax.' "'Algernon jaunted forward to meet them.' His Aunt Augusta, Lady Bracknell, was a picture of prim respectability bound together with silks and feathers. It is true that most of the feathers were engaged in a sort of frozen battle on the top of her hat, and the silks tended to reside into the area below the neck, trying to be as redundantly proper as possible. And Gwendolen, Algernon's charming cousin, was Lady Bracknell's charming daughter, whose brown eyes flashed to life upon seeing Jack. A... Uh, Ernest, lady bracknell lifted her hand to be taken good afternoon dear algernon i hope you are behaving very well algernon took her cold gloved fingers and kissed them i'm feeling very well aunt augusta that's not quite the same thing in fact those two things rarely go together her eyes turned to jack and she gave him a slight begrudging tip of her head the hairs on the back of jack's neck Stood and saluted the oppressive conqueror. Algernon turned to Gwendolen. Dear me, you are smart. I am always smart, am I not, Mr. Worthing? She turned to Ernest with a knowing smile. You're quite perfect, Miss Fairfax. Oh, I hope I am not that, Gwendolen replied. It would leave no room for developments, and I intend to develop in many directions. She walked past Jack with a smoky eye. "'and led him to the corner where they sat together. "'I'm sorry if we were a little late, Algernon,' said Lady Bracknell, "'but I was obliged to call on dear Lady Harbury. "'I hadn't been there since her poor husband's death. "'I never saw a woman so altered. "'She looks quite twenty years younger. "'And now I'll have a cup of tea "'and one of those nice cucumber sandwiches you promised me.' "'Certainly, Aunt Augusta,' said Algernon, "'as he walked over to the tea-table.' Would not you come and sit here, Gwendolyn?' "'Thanks, Mamma. I am quite comfortable where I am,' replied Gwendolyn from the corner. Algernon, after surreptitiously brushing off the crumbs from a plate, suddenly stood up in horror. "'Good heavens, Lane! Why are there no cucumber sandwiches? I ordered them specially.' "'There were no cucumbers in the market this morning, sir. I went down twice.' "'No cucumbers?' "'No, sir, not even for ready money.' Algernon walked up to him and looked him straight in the eye. A certain electricity passed between them. "'That will do, Lane. Thank you.' "'Thank you, sir.' And Lane, though not a little disgraced, quietly and respectably left the room. "'I am greatly distressed, Aunt Augusta, about there being no cucumbers, not even for ready money,' said Algernon. "'It really makes no matter, Algernon. I had some crumpets with Lady Harbury.' "'who seems to be living entirely for pleasure now. "'I hear her hair has turned quite gold from grief,' said Algernon. "'It certainly has changed its colour. "'From what cause I, of course, cannot say.' "'Algernon offers her some tea from the table. "'Lady Bracknell receives it with her gloved hands. "'Thank you. "'I've quite a treat for you tonight, Algernon. "'I'm going to send you down with Mary Farquhar.' She's such a nice woman, and so attentive to her husband. It's delightful to watch them. I am afraid, Aunt Augusta, I shall have to give up the pleasure of dining with you tonight after all, said Algernon through apologetic teeth. Lady Bracknell, however, was not having it. I hope not, Algernon. It would put my table completely out. Your uncle would have to dine upstairs. Fortunately, he is accustomed to that. Algernon begins his Bunbury regimen. "'It is a great bore, and I need hardly say a terrible disappointment to me. "'But the fact is, I have just had a telegram to say "'that my poor friend Bunbury is very ill again.' "'He exchanged a furtive, knowing glance with Jack. "'They seem to think I should be with him.' "'It is very strange,' said Lady Bracknell. "'This Mr. Bunbury seems to suffer from curiously bad health.' "'Yes, poor Bunbury is a dreadful invalid.' said Algernon, touching his fingertips with concern. Well, I must say, Algernon, that I think it is high time that Mr. Bunbury made up his mind whether he was going to live or to die. This shilly-shallying with the question is absurd, nor do I in any way approve of the modern sympathy with invalids. I consider it morbid. Illness of any kind is hardly a thing to be encouraged in others. Health— is the primary duty of life. I am always telling that to our poor uncle, but he never seems to take much notice, as far as any improvement in his ailment goes. I should be much obliged, if you would ask Mr. Bunbury, from me, to be kind enough not to have a relapse on Saturday, for I rely on you to arrange my music for me. It is my last reception, and one wants something that will encourage conversation.' particularly at the end of the season, when everyone has practically said whatever they had to say, which in most cases was probably not much. "'I'll speak to Bunbury, Aunt Agatha,' said Algernon, if he is still conscious, "'and I think I can promise you he'll be all right by Saturday. Of course, the music is a great difficulty. You see, if one plays good music, people don't listen, and if one plays bad music, people don't talk.' "'but I'll run over the programme I've drawn out "'if you will kindly come into the next room for a moment. "'Thank you, Algernon, it is very thoughtful of you. "'And all the silks and feathers rise at once "'and follow Algernon into the music-room. "'I'm sure the programme will be delightful "'after a few expurgations. "'French songs I cannot possibly allow. "'People always seem to think that they are improper, "'and either look shocked, which is vulgar, or laugh, which is worse. But German sounds a thoroughly respectable language, and indeed I believe is so. Gwendolyn, you will accompany me. Certainly, Mama. But Gwendolyn does not accompany her mother into the next room. Gwendolyn remains behind. And Jack, earnest, stands and walks about in his mottled way. Charming day it has been, Miss Fairfax. Gwendolyn blinked at him. "'Pray, don't talk to me about the weather, Mr. Worthing. "'Whenever people talk to me about the weather, "'I always feel certain that they mean something else, "'and that makes me so nervous.' "'I do mean something else. I thought so. "'In fact, I am never wrong. "'And as she looked into Jack's eyes, "'her brown eyes turned a shade browner. "'And I would like to be allowed to take advantage "'of Lady Bracknell's temporary absence. "'I would certainly advise you to do so.' Mama has a way of coming back suddenly into a room that I have often had to speak to her about. Jack cleared his throat, and became suddenly aware of his shirt-collar. Miss Fairfax, ever since I've met you, I have admired you more than any girl I have ever met since I met you. Yes, I am quite well aware of the fact, replied Gwendolen, and I often wish that in public, at any rate, you had been more demonstrative. For me, you have always had an irresistible fascination. Even before I met you, I was far from indifferent to you. This is news to Jack, and he looked at her with wide eyes. We live, as I hope you know, Mr. Worthing, in an age of ideals. The fact is constantly mentioned in the more expensive monthly magazines, and has reached the provincial pulpits, I am told. And my ideal has always been... "'to love someone of the name of Ernest. "'There is something in that name "'that inspires absolute confidence. "'The moment Algernon first mentioned to me "'that he had a friend called Ernest, "'I knew I was destined to love you.' "'You really love me, Gwendolyn?' asked Jack. "'Passionately. "'Darling!' "'He knelt down before her "'and held her hands, which felt warm and electric.' You don't know how happy you've made me. My own Ernest. Their foreheads touched. And then they didn't. Jack pulled back. But you don't really mean to say that you couldn't love me if my name wasn't Ernest. But your name is Ernest. Yes, I know it is, but supposing it was something else. Do you mean to say that you couldn't love me then? Gwendolen blinked glibly. Ah! Uh, that is clearly a metaphysical speculation, and, like most metaphysical speculations, has very little reference at all to the actual facts of real life, as we know them. Personally, darling, to speak quite candidly, I don't much care about the name of Ernest. I don't think the name suits me at all. It suits you perfectly, said Gwendolen. It is a divine name. It has a music of its own. It produces vibrations. "'Well, really, Gwendolen, "'I must say that I think there are lots of other, much nicer names. "'I think Jack, for instance, a charming name. "'Jack!' "'No, there is very little music in the name Jack, if any at all, indeed. "'It does not thrill. "'It produces absolutely no vibrations. "'I have known several Jacks, and they all, without exception, "'were more than usually plain.' Besides, Jack is a notorious domesticity for John, and I pity any woman who is married to a man called John. She would probably never be allowed to know the entrancing pleasure of a single moment's solitude. The only really safe name is Ernest. Gwendolen, I must get christened at once. I mean, we must get married at once. There is no time to be lost. Married, Mr. Worthing? Well, surely. "'said Jack, rather astounded. "'You know that I love you, "'and you led me to believe, Miss Fairfax, "'that you were not absolutely indifferent to me. "'I adore you,' said Gwendolen. "'But you haven't proposed to me yet. "'Nothing has been said at all about marriage. "'The subject has not even been touched on. "'Well, may I propose to you now?' "'I think it would be an admirable opportunity,' "'she said, looking at the door to the music-room.' and to spare you any possible disappointment, Mr. Worthing, I think it only fair to tell you quite frankly beforehand that I am fully determined to accept you, Gwendolen. Yes, Mr. Worthing, what have you got to say to me? You know what I have got to say to you. Yes, but you don't say it. Gwendolen. he said, as he went down on his knees, Will you marry me? Of course I will, darling, said Gwendolen. How long you have been about it! I am afraid you have had very little experience in how to propose. My own one, I have never loved anyone in the world but you. Yes, she said. But men often propose for practice. I know my brother Gerald does. All my girlfriends tell me so. She leaned in closer, their noses nearly touching. What wonderfully blue eyes you have, Ernest. They are quite, quite blue. I hope you will always look at me just like that. "'especially when there are other people present.' "'Mr. Worthing, rise, sir, from this semi-recumbent posture. "'It is most indecorous!' "'Lady Bracknell, with silks and feathers aflame, announced herself. Mamma, "'Jack tried to rise, but Gwendolen restrained him, "'with her hands on his shoulders. "'I must beg you to retire. "'This is no place for you. "'Besides, Mr. Worthing has not quite finished yet.' "'Finished what, may I ask?' Gwendolen looked at her mother, "'her eyes alight with fire. "'I am engaged to Mr. Worthing, Mama.' "'And they both stood together, "'looking rather unified. "'Pardon me! "'You are not engaged to anyone! "'When you do become engaged to someone, "'I, or your father, should his health permit him, "'will inform you of the fact.' She looked down her long nose at the two of them. An engagement should come on a young girl as a surprise, pleasant or unpleasant, as the case may be. It is hardly a matter that she could be allowed to arrange for herself. And now I have a few questions to put to you, Mr. Worthing, while I am making these inquiries. You, Gwendolen, will wait for me below in the carriage. Mama! In the carriage, Gwendolen. Gwendolen looked back and forth from her mother to Jack, and back again, then back to Jack. Finally, she goes to the door. She turns back, and while Lady Bracknell is arranging a chair to look more like a throne, she and Jack blow kisses at each other. Hearing a surreptitious and suspicious noise, Lady Bracknell perks up, Gwendolyn, the carriage! Yes, Mama. And Gwendolyn took a long look at Jack, and then left. "'Lady Bracknell looked up from her throne. "'You can take a seat, Mr. Worthing.' "'She produced a notebook and pencil from her pocket. "'The pencil looked as if it had been sharpened by a razor. "'Thank you, Lady Bracknell. I prefer standing,' said Jack. "'Lady Bracknell looked at the pencil-tip and found it perfect. "'I feel I am bound to tell you that you are not down on my list of eligible young men.' although I have the same list as the dear Duchess of Bolton has. We work together, in fact. However, I am quite ready to enter your name, should your answers be what a really affectionate mother requires. Do you smoke? Well, yes, I must admit I smoke, replied Jack. I am glad to hear it, said Lady Bracknell. A man should always have an occupation of some kind, there are far too many idle men in London as it is. How old are you? Twenty nine. A very good age to be married at, she said. I have always been of opinion that a man who desires to get married should know either everything or nothing. Which do you know? Jack, after a pause, during which he ran through a dozen different answers in his head, replied, I know nothing, Lady Bracknell. "'I am pleased to hear it,' she said. "'I do not approve of anything that tampers with natural ignorance. "'Ignorance is like a delicate exotic fruit. "'Touch it, and the bloom is gone. "'The whole theory of modern education is radically unsound. "'Fortunately, in England, at any rate, "'education produces no effect whatsoever. "'If it did, it would prove a serious danger to the upper classes.' "'and probably lead to acts of violence in Grosvenor Square. "'What is your income?' "'Between seven and eight thousand a year,' Jack said without blinking. "'The clouds seemed to disperse a bit above Lady Bracknell's head at that. "'She made a note in her book. "'In land or in investments?' "'In investments, chiefly.' "'That is satisfactory,' said Lady Bracknell. "'What, between the duties expected of one during one's lifetime?' and the duties exacted from one after one's death, land has ceased to be either a profit or a pleasure. It gives one position, and prevents one from keeping it up. That's all that can be said about land. Jack spoke up at this. I have a country house, with some land, of course, attached to it, about fifteen hundred acres, I believe, but I don't depend on that for my real income. In fact, as far as I can make out, the poachers are the only people who make anything out of it. "'A country house?' said Lady Bracknell, sitting up straighter. "'How many bedrooms?' "'Well, that point can be cleared up afterwards. "'You have a townhouse, I hope. "'A girl with a simple, unspoiled nature like Gwendolen "'could hardly be expected to reside in the country.' "'Well, I own a house in Belgrave Square, "'but it is let by the year to Lady Bloxham,' Jack replied. "'Of course, I can get it back whenever I like at six months' notice.' Lady Bloxham? I don't know her. Oh, she goes about very little. She is a lady considerably advanced in years. Ah, said Lady Bracknell. Nowadays that is no guarantee of respectability of character. What number in Belgrave Square? One forty-nine. Lady Bracknell shook her head. The unfashionable side. She made another note in her book. I thought there was something— "'However, that could easily be altered.' "'Do you mean the fashion or the side?' "'Both, if necessary, I presume. "'What are your politics?' "'Well, I am afraid I really have none. "'I am a liberal unionist.' "'Oh, they count as Tories. "'They dine with us,' she said, "'or come in the evening, at any rate. "'Now to minor matters. "'Are your parents living?' "'I have lost both my parents.' "'Lady Bracknell, who was already sitting up incredibly straight "'as she conducted this interrogation, sat up even straighter. "'To lose one parent, Mr. Worthing, may be regarded as a misfortune. "'To lose both looks like carelessness. "'Who was your father? "'He was evidently a man of some wealth. "'Was he born in what the radical papers call the purple of commerce, "'or did he rise from the ranks of the aristocracy?' "'Jack!' "'looked at the floor. "'I am afraid I really don't know.' "'Then he met her eye. "'The fact is, Lady Bracknell, "'I said I had lost my parents. "'It would be nearer to the truth "'to say that my parents "'seem to have lost me. "'I don't actually know "'who I am by birth. "'I was... "'Well, I was found.' "'Found?' "'The late Mr. Thomas Cardew.' "'Jack continued. "'An old gentleman, "'of a very charitable "'and kindly disposition, "'found me, "'and gave me the name of Worthing, "'because he happened to have "'a first-class ticket for Worthing "'in his pocket at the time. "'Worthing is a place in Sussex. "'It is a seaside resort. "'Where did the charitable gentleman "'who had a first-class ticket "'for this seaside resort "'find you?' "'In a handbag.' (gasps) "'A handbag?' "'Yes, Lady Bracknell.' I was in a handbag. Jack's face seemed to slump a bit, as he described. A somewhat large, black, leather handbag with handles to it. An ordinary handbag, in fact. In what locality did this Mr. James or Thomas Cardio come across this ordinary handbag? In the cloakroom at Victoria Station. It was... "'given to him in mistake for his own. "'The cloak-room at Victoria Station?' "'Yes, the Brighton line.' "'The line is immaterial, Mr. Worthing. "'I confess I feel somewhat bewildered by what you have told me. "'To be born, or at any rate, bred in a handbag, "'whether it has handles or not, "'seems to me to display a contempt for the ordinary decencies of family life "'that reminds one of the worst excesses of the French Revolution.' and I presume you know what that unfortunate movement led to. As for the particular locality in which the handbag was found, a cloakroom at a railway station might serve to conceal a social indiscretion. Has probably, indeed, been used for that purpose before now, but it could hardly be regarded as an assured basis for a recognised position in good society. Jack, who looked as if he were gazing into a fiery furnace and about to tip in himself, "'Asked, may I ask you, then, what you would advise me to do? "'I need hardly say I would do anything in the world to ensure Gwendolen's happiness.' "'Lady Bracknell flared her nostrils. "'I would strongly advise you, Mr. Worthing, "'to try and acquire some relations as soon as possible, "'and to make a definite effort to produce at any rate one parent of either sex "'before the season is quite over.' "'Well, I don't see how I could possibly manage to do that,' said Jack. "'I can produce the handbag at any moment. "'It is in my dressing-room at home. "'I really think that should satisfy you, Lady Bracknell.' "'Me, sir?' said Lady Bracknell, standing with immense formality. "'What has it to do with me? "'You can hardly imagine that I and Lord Bracknell would dream "'of allowing our only daughter, a girl brought up with the utmost care,' "'to marry into a cloak-room "'and form an alliance with a parcel. "'Good morning, Mr. Worthing!' "'And Lady Bracknell swept out "'in a breeze of majestic indignation, "'while behind her a single remnant of a feather "'fluttered to the floor. "'This is B. J. Harrison. "'I hope you have enjoyed this Unabridged production.' of The Importance of Being Earnest, Part 1 of 4, by Oscar Wilde. If you have enjoyed this book, please consider becoming a supporting member of the Classic Tales at classictalesaudiobooks.com. You'll find many ways of supporting us, starting at only $5 a month. Each donation comes with a monthly thank you code for expanding your Classic Audiobook Library. Please become a member today.